Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now, for people of a certain age, the name Clatter Records evokes a joy. The label that launched the Chieftains and brought the music of Sean O'Reilly to world audiences was the brainchild of Garrick Brown, a member of the Guinness family. Garrett's life was legendary and the importance of Clatter Records has been brought to life in a new book written by my next guest, James Morrissey, author of Real to Real, uh, Garrett Brown and Clatter Records. You're very welcome to Down to Business. Thank you very much, Bobby. Now, James, uh, first of all, remind us about Garrett Brown, a Guinness heir, a character, a larger than life figure, a man steeped in the arts, maybe a complex man, maybe eccentric Maybe lots of things, but you knew him well, so yeah, I tell, tell us I the Garrick just, Brown you knew, you knew. I think you described me very well. Um, I was working in, in Spotlight magazine, which is a music magazine in the 1970s, and Garrett had uh, left his home place in Clare Morris and moved to Lugalaw with his mother, who was Lady Una Guinness, and his brother, Tara. Who tra- tragically died, died in London in yes. a car accident. Yes, and, and immortalised in the Beatles song. And I got to know him quite well. He was quite critical of the fact that Spotlight didn't uh, give enough coverage to uh, traditional Irish music. And at that time, traditional Irish music and our culture was certainly at the lowest level of a trough. Um, and it was it was being swamped probably by the surge of, of pop music. Yeah. Um, and Garrett felt very strongly about it. Uh, and decided that he wanted to do something about it. He learned the pipes with uh, Piper called Leo Rosam, and he learned the pipes at the same time as Ivor Brown, who passed away recently, who was one of the founders of, of CLAD as well. And they, th- the first recording was Leo Rosam, but Garrett was driven by a real determination to preserve and protect Irish music. Some people were critical of him, including the late President Childers, who said to him, you know, we need to look at Ireland in in a future context as opposed to a past. Garrett felt that tradition and culture were very, very important. And so he set up he set up Clada. And it was it was a labour of love and you And you this was in nineteen fifty nine, mind. Nineteen fifty nine. Yeah. And uh, here was somebody who did have access to resources to make it happen and who really didn't know what he wanted to do with his life. So he was the perfect, he was the perfect person to do this. He had access to resources. He loved traditional music um, and he wanted to do something to preserve something very important. You say in the book that he thrived, and I liked this, on a combination of chaos, conflict and creativity. He could be as erratic as he was eccentric. Um, and uh, Clatter Records was a precarious project which defied business norms. How did it defy business norms? Was it on the grounds that he was he had loads of money and he had loads to lose, or was it something different than that? Well, it was both. Uh, it, it didn't make any money. It didn't lose a lot of money. It needed some ventions from time to time. But Garrett himself was quite chaotic. On one occasion, he went off on holidays to the Caribbean and he brought the single only checkbook with them. And he was gone for two months, so no one could be paid for two months. Oh, uh, there were uh, several warnings uh, uh, given to him by James Cawley, who was his solicitor at the time, saying, you know, if you keep doing these things, you're going to be in breach of company law. Now, Garrett knew nothing about company law and cared less about it. And I suppose back back in the day, 
uh, it wasn't being adhered to by everybody. So Garrett wasn't out on his own. He he really just wanted to record and produce superb albums. How they happened didn't bother him too much. How much time was involved didn't bother him too much. I mean, for example, the great, great um, uh, fiddle player, Tommy Potts, who suffered from, as he said himself, the sin of pride and a fe- an absolute fear of pride. He didn't want to go into a recording studio to record. He felt that that was kind of self-adulation. So Garrett invited him down to Lugalaw to a party, but secretly had recording equipment there. And that's how yeah. uh, that's how the Liffey Banks by Tommy Potts was recorded. And the parties, of course, in Lugalaw were legendary. Were legendary. The only the only rule, the only condition was. Uh, you would be refused entry if you were boring. <laughs> Anything else was fine. And I hope you attended a couple of them over the I years. Was at, I was at several of them over <laughs> the years, and they really were, they were, they were quite incredible. And you met all sorts of people there. I mean, he knew Beaton, he knew Lucian Freud, he knew Pierce Brosnan, yeah. Mick, Mick Jagger. Um, and, you know, parties, a party didn't have to end for a new one to start. So there were lots of overlap. Rolling parties. Rolling parties. Wow. So so when 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 uh, when he got it going and he, he had a, a great uh, collaboration uh, with the chieftains and the the actual richness of the culture, the way he the way he saw culture, maybe differently to many people, of what was to be preserved and what was important? I think that's right. I think that he wanted to he wanted to make sure that the purists, the Willie Clancy's and the Tommy Potts and the Seamus Ennis's, were preserved. But he also wanted the New Ireland, as it was emerging, to influence playing. For example, uh, he recorded Sean O'Reilly uh, not long before Sean O'Reilly died. And then out of Kjolteri Kulin came the Chieftains. And the Chieftains really pushed the boundaries. Uh, were they a traditional Irish group? No, they weren't. Were they, were they a group of musicians who wanted to stay true to the tradition, but equally wanted to explore? Yeah. So you got, you got a kind of a confluence of past and present in the same way that Irish music has reached so many corners around the world. It was taken from these shores after the famine. It ended up in America. It ended up in Mexico. It ended up in Argentina. It ended up in northern yeah. Spain. So Irish music has been has you know, been interpreted in so many ways wherever you go. How did you get on the train, James? In terms of where did you and Gareth meet? How did you first get to know him? And obviously, you worked with him closely and. You know, you finished the book, so he's been dead, uh, God rest him, since 2018. So, yes. um, as I understand it, none of the book was written pre his death. No, no. And, and the research took quite a number of years. I mean, I was working on it for five years while he was still alive. Uh, I suppose my own interest in Clada and the music was through working in a music magazine. I was a chronic student in, in UCD. It took me five years to finish a three-year course. So I went kind of the scenic route. Uh, and I was always interested in the art and the arts, and I was always interested in music. And I also felt, and I feel now maybe more strongly than ever, when you look at where our culture has come from, it, it came from sitting around 
fires in, in, in small cottages post-famine Ireland. And that's what we have today and the richness of our culture. And that's not to say that other countries don't have the richness of their own culture. But I think we have something really, really unique. And when you look what's happening in the film industry and in music, the spoken word, the written word, we're, we're, we're right up there. And I think that Gareth Brown deserves a special place uh, sure. uh, in this country in terms of recognition of what he did and what he achieved. And somebody was keeping an eye on the archives, obviously, because you say that, you know, over the last, whatever it was, couple of years, there was 60 boxes of material stored in a Bank of Ireland vault. Did you go through all that? We did. And yeah. They, and they were, all the, they were all the recordings and they were taken out uh, after Garrett died but they were all preserved and protected there. And I remember saying to Garrett late one night, well, it's great, Garrett, that they are preserved and protected in the vaults in the Bank of Ireland, which, of course, was the link back to the Guinness family. They had all their accounts in, in the Bank of Ireland. And Garrett said, well, they're not much use being in the vaults of a, of a bank when no one can hear them. Can we not do something about it? So that's when uh, I got the idea that we should probably revive the record label. Garrett thought that it was an impossible task and I'm, I regret that he's not round to see what has happened. We signed a licensing agreement with, with uh, Universal Music. We re-released Patrick Kavanagh's poetry, spoken in his own word, and we got Bono to record uh, for that album President Michael D. Higgins, uh, Imelda May, Liam Neeson. So it's, it's, we're bringing back to life something that deserves to be uh, resuscitated and re-energized. Fantastic, and, and it's, it's great that the that the, as you say that the the legacy lives on, and you've actually re-energized Clada. You've now have it, I presume, on some sort of commercial footing. We have, and, uh, and we've signed some we've signed some new artists. Uh, we have we have a lot of plans to uh, re-release. There's some mag- magnificent old material there by Seamus Heaney, uh, uh, Thomas Kinsella, Derek Mahan. Uh, a lot of great music by the Keane sisters. Yeah. So it really is, it's a very rich reservoir. And can I bring you, James, then to the end product? It's a, it's a, it's a coffee table, hardback book. It's an album. It's a whole lot of things. Was it important to come out with more than just a book? It was. I, I suppose I was really driven to position Garrett Brown in a place that he would be fully and properly recognised. He wasn't in his lifetime. Uh, I'm delighted that we've gotten to this stage. It was really important for others to see what can be done when you get dedication, professionalism, obsession, if you want to call it that. Uh, So why just bring out a book? Why not also include a vinyl album that would contain tracks of some of the finest tracks that were recorded by Clada and then we did a poster of, of, of Garrett. So it really was to to kind of capture this unique individual. He was a wonderful character and he was a very generous person. He was one of those people, one of the great contradictions. He was very, very shy and yet he had got great confidence. It yeah. was just one of those, the mix of, and he was, very, he was latter years were difficult, difficult enough for him. Uh, I, I developed a great friendship with him, and one that I must say uh, I cherish. Well, listen, you've done a great job, and it's a real, really respectful and wonderful tribute to the man. Uh, so James Morrissey, 
author of Real to Real, uh, Garrett Brown and Clatter Records, the story indeed. Thank you so much for enlightening us with this great piece of work here today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much, Bobby. I'm delighted. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.